everybody. I am back with a double whammy this week. Uh, we've got Nathan Harris today after Jordan's show yesterday. And man, both of these two are just such rock stars. Nathan, first of all, just thank you so much for being here. No, absolutely. Thank you for inviting me, for taking the time. And this is this is op- awesome opportunity. Well, my team and I were so excited to when we came up with this idea of a lineup of law firm visionaries to interview. And I thought of you right away for a lot of reasons. I mean, everybody in our network is just kind of like great people who are also firm owners. And I think you have a really interesting, unique law firm story background. And we were talking before we went live about what makes your firm pretty unique. Can you share, well, First, can you just share about the law firm and this difference where it's not really a niched law firm, but it is a law firm with a specific avatar? That's right. So my firm is based in right outside of Birmingham, Alabama. The name of the firm is Abogados Centralegal. And so we are 100% focused on undocumented Spanish-speaking immigrants in Alabama. So that's our avatar, basically, uh, high level. Our, our avatar consists of anybody, it, male, because we had to pick one or the other. Sure. 16 to 65 construction worker in mm-hmm. Alabama that's out there working every day in the heat, in the rain, in the snow, which we don't get a lot of in Alabama, but it happens occasionally. Mm-hmm. They're subject to a lot of dangers when they're out there. you know, And it, it's a high calamity people group. I like to think of it as, yeah. you know, that they are probably um, don't live in the safest locations. And so they have a lot of risks at home that they have a lot of risks in their workplace. Um, and then going back and forth between the two, there's always a lot of risks traveling on the roads. So we do a lot of personal injury. Of course, we do a lot of immigration work because every one of our clients has an immigration issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also do a lot of FLSA Federal Labor Standards Act, wage theft litigation. Man, I just think it makes so much sense when you break it down. Was this how the law firm, was this the makeup of it when you launched or did you grow into the way it looks now? When I launched, when I left law school, I kind of launched my own firm and it was just threshold law. Whatever came over the threshold, Mm -hmm. that's what I was practicing that day Sure, um, because I had to eat. Yeah. Uh, my wife at the time was working at a Cato store, which is just a women's clothing store at the local mall. And she made more than me the first year working mm. at the local mall. So then I went to work for another lawyer um, in town and learned how to be a lawyer because they don't teach you that in law school. Yeah. yeah. 
And then I came over and worked at the firm where I'm at now. It, it was, I've made a lot of changes since then, but those three areas have always been the legs of our three-legged stool is what we've always mm. called So this is not a firm that you created. This is a firm that, that you came in on as partner, right? That's right. I came in as a partner. Me and my law partner were together for about two years. And he decided we we had a really great case. We were able to help somebody. It was actually a toxic tort where there was mercury poisoning to a a young uh, child due to some mercury that came out of some thermostats in an apartment building. And the child got some mercury and he was playing with it in his hands and it got in his bed. And so we don't know how long it had been in his bed with him, but he had some significant cognitive injuries because of that. But we were able to get the family compensation for that and that really is able to take care of this child for the rest of his life. But my partner, you know, that he brought that case in before I was a part of the firm. And so he was able to take those fees and get out of the practice of law because that's what he always told me he wanted to do. He said, look, I'm bringing you on as a partner because I want to get out of practicing law. He was burned out. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. So he took that money and started a um, litigation injury finance company. So quasi like no oh, yeah. interesting when you made this transition and i ask just because i know that one of the most difficult good problems to have as a law firm owner is as the business starts to make more money especially if you've gone through a season of paying yourself less than yeah someone at the mall works was it a challenge for you to figure out how can I safely start to pay myself? Um, or were there kind of processes in place there where that was an easier transition for you? It wasn't a, a terrible transition, but mainly because I had seen my parents be entrepreneurs my entire life. Mm. At one point, my parents were running two locations of three different businesses, so a total of six. And they always had all these businesses going. And that wasn't even counting all their multi-level marketing stuff. They get oh, five gigs and five kids and all this other stuff. Mm. They, they were busy, busy. But one of you know they had a business coach um, growing up, and I would always listening uh, to books on tape. They always had Zig Ziglar going in the car and all sorts of these other business coaches, life coaches. But one of the business coach piece of advice that, that I heard and took to heart was pay yourself first. If you don't pay yourself first, even if that's a small salary, not, you know, I still do that to pay myself a small salary and the other money comes later, but pay yourself first. Make sure yeah, you're taken yeah. care of and that way you can take care of other people. So well said. And along those lines, when a related question, and I was talking with, with one of my coaches about this this morning, it seems like when you're in a situation that just being transparent, Nathan and I are both in maximum lawyer guild. Yeah. And when you're at that point where you see the value of masterminding, being in the room with great people, in investing in your mindset, is there a sense of going back to what you said about paying yourself first? Like there, there is a cost sometimes to paying yourself first that you don't have enough budget to invest in some of these other kind of very long play mindset coaching, mastermind, whatever investments. Yeah. Um, I only ask, because do you have any tips or lessons learned around money management between 
with this extra lump of money, do I reinvest it for more help or, or should I feel good about just paying myself, even though it could go to a great coach? You, you know, you can always pay a great coach, but if you can't meet your basic need, yeah. I mean, you have to meet basic needs. You have to be yeah. able to cover the rent. You have to be able to cover the lights. If my family's not eating, at least bologna, hot dogs, whatever it is, we got to got to cover those threshold issues. And after yeah. that, yeah, let, let's invest in coaching. Let's invest in, in all these mindset tools and read books. We can invest mm-hmm. in all the coaching and stuff like this that we want to, but all this stuff is in books. I mean, we can read books. We can crack Such one over 30 to 50 bucks, get the book, read it, take the time, do the work. There are ways. It's easier to get it from a coach because a coach can be like, okay, you need chapter seven, line 14. Right. That's the one Billy needs today. But if you're reading the book and you're taking a note and then your mind will light up, oh, I remember that that was in that book. Let me look at my notes. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I usually take notes while reading books. Uh, reading books, but now I don't even read. I've got to the point where I, I think it happened in law school. I've got to do audiobooks, and maybe mm. it's going back to my parents mm. in the old Lincoln Zig Ziglar style. Tape. What is it about the audiobooks that you think is more helpful? I think I learn better that way. Mm. I think I can, I can, because it lets my mind kind of visualize what's going on, and, and I think I'm a more audi- audible. Mm visual learner than I am just a reading learner. I hadn't thought about this before, but now that you say it, I'm noodling on it. I I always had this idea that if I read a book, I'll pay more attention than if I listen. Mm-hmm. But what's been happening lately is I'm listening to like some of Dan Sullivan's audiobooks, like his yeah. new one, The Gap and the Gain. And I'm finding that I can get through the book much faster if I just have it on in my ear all day. Yeah. So I'll actually like listen to it twice yeah. in a week, almost like a, like a podcast that you liked and you want to go back and revisit. Yeah. And so I actually get to like read it twice and have it kind of be reinforced yeah. versus listening to it instead of reading it. That's, and, that's and a like really cool, with, cool way of thinking about it. And I don't jot down notes in, yeah. in a legal pad anymore, but I'll get my, my phone and I'll fire up that notes app and be like, Oh, he said this. Let me let me jot that down. Yeah. Well, and, and and once you're once you're at a point that someone like Nathan is at, the value and purpose of reading a book is less about let me take a note, let me take notes on this entire book and figure out action steps. And it's more like if I get one golden nugget, yeah, that's it. From golden two hours nugget. of listening, that huge takeaway for the day can be priceless. Yeah. And that's exactly why, you know, I was talking to some local reporters this week and they're like, why do you do so much continuing education? It seems like you know how to do this already. I'm like, well, I'm not there to learn how to do it anymore. I want to pick out that golden nugget. Mm. How does that guy know how to do that thing so well and different? And how can we tweak our process, you know, 1% to make it better and 1% and 1%. If we do that 1%, you know, 52 times a year, once a week, then we're 50% better at the end. Yeah. Ah, so good. So good. It's very easy for anyone watching or listening, I think, to, to see that you've passed like that initial stage of being a firm owner. When you look back at all the progress that, that you've made, 
the impact that the firm has made with you on there. What are you most proud of? So we were handling a case and it was a construction fall case. And it was a hotel here in Birmingham that was being built. And the fall protection was very lax. The safety protection was very lax. And somebody ended up dying because of it. And we filed that lawsuit. We litigated it. We reached a significant settlement, but more than the significant settlement that took care of this individual's kids for the rest of their lives was the change that we were able to see that general contractor make. Mm -hmm. They went and hired a real safety director. They now have a safety week that they advertise all throughout Birmingham. Wow. That they are pushing safety as, you know, safety first, not safety third anymore. Mm -hmm. They understand that if they violate these safety rules and regulations that people get hurt. That's the reasons they're there. They're not reason. They're not there just to cost people more money, and so yeah. that that has been great to see. That hopefully, you know, lives will be saved, injuries will be avoided because of that work that we did. Man, that's especially how it affects our community too, in our yeah. undocumented immigrant community who are building these buildings. That's so cool. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, let let's shift gears a little bit to the visionary side of things. Yeah. We, we talked before we went live about the different parts of the business that you see yourself stepping out over the next few years. Tell us a little bit more about when, when you think of yourself being the visionary, what does that really look like for you? So, and I used this metaphor earlier. I, I love this metaphor. Again, it's, 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 so I think of it like a cartel. Okay. It's not, I don't say that because I'm affiliated with the cartel or, or I've got some stories about the cartel and we'll talk about those offline, I but guess. I think of it as a cartel. I don't see myself, you know, on the billboards in Times Square, you know, Abogado Centro Legal being the face of the change, being the face of the revolution. Okay. Mm. Um, I don't care if my face is everywhere. That, that's not me. My, my mm. ego is not that big. It doesn't have to be struck that much. But what I do want to see is our firm there. Okay. Mm. I, I want to be that visionary that pushes our firm because, and I come back to the cartel, people know who the Sinaloa cartel is. They didn't know for a long time who was running the Sinaloa cartel. Okay? Mm. People knew who Pablo Escobar was only after he got in trouble and got his mugshot in the paper. But before they sure knew who his cartel was and what yeah. was going on in his organization and, and the things that he did. Okay. So maybe I need to pick a better metaphor go, uh, if I tell this in, in the future, but I, I think I, it's I want, great. I want people to know our firm by what we do. Okay. Yeah. Not by who I am, not by my face. I, I want them to know by the changes that we effectuate in the immigrant mm. community in Alabama. Okay. I love this. When I asked again, before we went live and I asked about like your vision for the business and you, you talked about, you know, size increase cases handled would go up. Those are all great. Can you help me connect the dots between, I know this is kind of a silly, dumb question, but like the business growing to 
how does that make the vision of what the brand is bigger? Absolutely. Well, if we stay small, we can't help as many people. Mm. Okay. Mm. Everybody says that's why we went to law school is to help people. Yeah. But really, that's why we do what we do mm. here at my firm, Abogado Centro Legal, is to help immigrants. And the more cases we get, you know, it's just economics. The more money we get, the more people we can hire. Um, and, and that means we can bring on more clients and make sure the clients are satisfied. The more immigrants we can help through the process of getting immigration benefits, the more clients that have been hurt um, means the, that we can help. It means the more change we can effectuate. Kind of, kind of just to pivot a little bit in our employment law matters, in, mm-hmm. in our wage theft cases, we've been able to file over 200 of those individual FLSA actions. And so what that is, is when they're not being paid a minimum wage, they're not being paid overtime. But in Alabama, we've been able to effectuate the change where most of the restaurants that we would go after, Mexican restaurants, Chinese restaurants, hotels, motels, those kind of things, are now paying minimum wage. They're not paying overtime because they know if they don't, if they're taking advantage of the people group that we represent, immigrants in Alabama, then we're going to come after them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and you talked about, again, before we went live, this phrase that I loved of in the community and a part of the community. That's right. Yeah. So good. So everybody at my firm is bilingual. Mm. You don't get an interview at my firm if you're not bilingual, mm. because that's who we are. You know, I, I like to say, tenemos la corazón hispano. We have a Hispanic heart. I'm half Hispanic. My mother is from Ecuador. My father is from Alabama. Most of our staff here are either Mexican in heritage or a Guatemalan in heritage or something like that. We have a lot of DACA Dreamer students working mm-hmm. for us. Um, I mean, we've got a, a gringo or two here every now and then. <laughs> you know, they, they're like almost activists in their heart. Oh, that's great. Okay? We, we, we do this at a for-profit basis, but we, we try to effectuate as much good change as we can. Mm. It's so, I mean, it's so inspiring. And I, I feel the need also to ask, just because I know there are a lot of marketing-focused firm owners who, who yeah. follow along to this. When you think about your avatar and you think about your community, are there particular ways and opportunities for you to, to get their attention online or in person right now that is, is working particularly well? So we try to be as immersed in our community as we can be. And our community right now likes Facebook. They love Facebook. And so we're on Facebook. We have a big Facebook presence. You know, our our firm page has, I don't know, over 6,000 followers, Mm. which is not a lot to some people, but for the undocumented immigrant community in Alabama, it's a pretty big following. Wow. Um, You said Facebook page or Facebook group? A page, a page. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Um, But if they all move to TikTok tomorrow, I'm going to be singing and dancing and trying to be in front of them. Oh my gosh. Um, but we also do a lot of events. Um, you know, I sit on the yeah. board of what they call Fiesta Birmingham, and that's mm-hmm. an event. Um, basically, Fiesta translates to party. It's a party we put down, uh, put on downtown for Hispanic Heritage Month, and we've been a, a sponsor of that for five, six, seven years, something like that. 
and, and we do a lot of stuff with the local zoo because our community, you know, that's something that they can relate to. There, yeah. There's zoos all over the world. And so when they come here, there, there's nothing that's relatable to Alabama and Honduras, yeah. really. But hey, they went to the zoo in Honduras and go to the zoo here. They can do things like that um, and, and keep those things of continuity, that's so um, avenues of continuity. So it's so great. Be where our clients are. Yeah. And, and we're, you know, we're in the tiendas. We do a lot of uh, magnet distribution um, in tiendas. We're on Facebook. Just uh, we try to be a lot of places. It, that was such a, a great answer. When you think about those those relationships that you have with places like the zoo or yeah. the ways that you're in front of them now, were were those accounts and relationships and every were those all in place when you joined the firm to an extent or did you help create those relationships and that attention sure so when we joined the firm the only marketing that we were doing was a you know quarter page ad in one of the spanish speaking newspapers mm -hmm. and that was it while i was there we started with the radio we're on the radio I think it's 15 times a day with ads. And then on Saturdays, we have a half hour show. We're on both. We're above the fold on both front pages of the Spanish speaking newspapers. Mm. We just try to position ourselves as highly as we can in our community. There's no way I'm going to be able to compete with John Morgan nationwide. Sure. But if I choose a small enough pond, I can make a difference in that pond. Mm -hmm. I can be a big fish in a very little pond. I ask because I think there are, there are a lot of people who might see those as opportunities. You know, yeah, I can be in this newspaper or yeah, I can, I could reach out to this association or this whatever and build a relationship. But what if they say no, or it seems like a lot of work or just fears of, the ROI not being there, being turned down, it being a waste of time. Do you have any recommendations for people who have an interest in collaborating, putting their names out there, but they just don't have a lot of experience in doing so? You know, call them up, try it, mm -hmm. do it. What's the worst that can happen? You're going to waste a little bit of money, but your name's going to get out there. Or the, I guess mm -hmm. the worst case scenario, they're going to tell you no. Okay, we'll find somebody else that wants to work with you in that community. Yeah, and chances are, if if it's not Nathan that yeah. reaches out and asks, it's going to be some other law firm that builds a relationship. That, yeah, that, that's right. That's right. And so through the years, we've built relationships, not just with those newspapers, but with the owners of those newspapers. Mm. Not with just the radio station, but with the reporters at the radio station. Amazing. So we had a case come in this morning that one of the reporters referred them to our firm. Why? Because they've been to my office. They've sat down. They've talked to me. They come in and they do interview. Cool. Because when, when you're an attorney, whether you like it or not, you're a thought leader in your community. Pick your community. Mm. Okay. Attorneys mm. are already put on this elevated pedestal. So use that elevated pedestal. Reach out into your community and, and be accessible. Yeah. I say that because, again, I whether it's my law firm owner friends or just my business owner friends who aren't lawyers. Yeah. I think we're all very used to right now 
the, the email spam and the LinkedIn messages from someone who wants to sell yeah. us whatever. And I think this is just a very refreshing sense of permission to say when you, when you reach out as a lawyer to help people, to say, hey, here's something that we can do to collaborate that can help people in need in your space, that will not be received as a random LinkedIn message. No, absolutely. Saying, yeah. hey, do you need a Facebook ad or whatever? Yeah, no, that, that's completely different. Completely different. It, especially if it's coming from you as an individual, mm. a lawyer in that community. And it can't be spammy. You can't send out 150 LinkedIn messages, you know, yeah. today and tomorrow. Um, you can't do it that way. You got to be genuine. And that's one of the, the biggest things. You, ha you have to be genuine about your community. Mm. Yeah. And that I like the way you said that because it's, it's, not just, it's not just all of these people that you're connecting to and like broadcasting your content to. Yeah. Especially in your sense and in, in most law firm owners' situations, the people that you're broadcasting to are in community with each other. That's right. That's yeah, right. that's a cool way to think about it. Yeah, this is, we're not just in the community. We definitely want to be a part of the community. And we are a part of the community. Not just because of who I am and I'm bilingual and bicultural, but it's who we hire that are bilingual yeah. and bicultural. It's who we represent that are all bilingual and bicultural. It's one of our values. It, it goes to the very, very core of who we are as a firm. It goes to the core of our why. Man, I love that. You can tell when you talk that you've done the work. I know that I saw that big posted on the other yeah, yeah. wall there. It's so, I mean, Nathan, thank you again so, so much for your time. My last question for you is, I know that immigration law, I know, again, you do more than that, um, but I know there are a lot of immigration attorneys across the country yeah. who are becoming more passionate about this. And, and maybe they'll be inspired by what you do and figure out all of these different practice areas that can serve the same avatar, or maybe they'll just focus on immigration and serve a wider community of people across the country. But for people who are seeing what you're doing and they're inspired by it, they're taking action to build their firms, to make an impact similar to what you're doing. And they're just a couple of chapters behind where you are now what would be your biggest recommendation for them? Go all in. Mm. Okay. You can't be a, a lukewarm firm owner. Mm. You know, this is yours. Do the work and go all in and be authentic with your community. I mean, you've chosen them. You're a part of them. That's who you are. Be authentic with them. Mm. So well said. Thank you again, Nathan. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Again, if you if you either watched this live or on the replay or you tuned into the podcast episode, we've got show notes to the video for you in the podcast. I would love it if after you guys have made it all the way this far, let us know in the comment what was your favorite part of this episode. Uh, what was your biggest golden nugget from Nathan? I know for me, one of it is just, I'm going to keep doing my audiobook thing because now it's got the Nathan stamp of approval. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but again, Nathan, you're a rock star. So, so glad and honored to have you here. And I'll talk to everybody again next week. This